Lord, we do adore you this morning. Thank you that you are holy above all else. You are not a man that you should change your mind, but you are God most high. Every promise is yes and amen in your word, and we are so grateful for that. Amen and amen. I'm working through a number of different messages that hopefully you're finding helpful in just basic life circumstances. Last week I talked about when suddenlies come, the things that happen suddenly that just change life forever, oftentimes, and how do you handle that? This morning I know you're going to love this message. It's, the title is Suffering. <laughs> so if you don't want to hear a message on suffering, this is your time to get up and walk. No, 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 no. But, and I'm taking my um, scripture from Romans 8:18. 8, I consider our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. One of the greatest challenges that you and I face as believers, as Christians, is the problem of suffering. If God is a good God, then why do so many bad things happen to people and in our world? Rabbi Kushner wrote a landmark book about coping, uh, concerning coping with life's tragedies when he wrote the book, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. Probably many of you have heard of that book or probably maybe read it. It was based on the book of Job. Kushner served as a rabbi at Temple Israel in Natick Mass for 24 years. And the book was written following the death of his son Aaron at the age of 14, who um, had suffered from premature aging disease called progeria. And the book deals with questions about human sufferings and about God and about his omnipotence. Rabbi Kushner's book was published in 1981, but it can, it's still considered a bestseller because of the topic that it deals with. Since that time, he's written other books, but this is probably the prime book that he's known for. When asked why that book resonated so profoundly in people's lives, Rabbi Kushner had this to say, quote, it makes people feel better. It doesn't explain, it comforts. This is what people in times of difficulty need. They need consolation, not explanation. Too many books, especially ones written before mine, didn't understand that. They try to tell people why it isn't so terrible. In other words, to suffer or to have trouble. People want a book that says it is terrible, but you can handle it. That's the first reason. The second reason is my own personal family experiences that gave me the right to write that book the authenticity. People have to listen to it because I've been there. End of quote. Suffering is all around us. Turn on your television and see the stark images of suffering. Say, for instance, in Syria with leaders who gas their own people. Read about another sickening round of pedophile priests and all of the horrific abuse that is done in the name of a religious person. 
And then how about the mother and father in California who were just sentenced to life in prison for how they treated their 13 children ages 2 to 29. They starved them. They chained them to their beds. They really let them leave their home. And when they were finally discovered, it, they were severely malnourished. They suffered from muscle wasting. And even some of those children tragically have cognitive impairment because of what they suffered. You and I are totally shocked and we're sickened by these things. The district attorney in that case uh, with the parents and the 13 children said it was a case of, quote, human depravity, end of quote. How do you and I explain these things to people, especially when they ask, if God is a good God, why didn't he intervene and stop this horrific abuse? That's a fair question. And we need to be able to answer this for others and for ourselves also. There are different kinds of suffering that take place in this world. I think of severe suffering, those that are living in war-torn areas and the unjust with unjust imprisonment and in peril for their lives. I think of just suffering that's part of the human condition, disease that can often rack our bodies with pain, unrelenting disappointment due to life circumstances. It could be because of abandonment or divorce or rejection, unfaithfulness on the part of a spouse that is supposed to be faithful to us or betrayal of any kind. That's part of the human condition. And the suffering due to moral depravity, sexual abuse and human trafficking, the cases that I just mentioned earlier, anything that requires someone selling their soul for selfish ends. And there's suffering for the sake of Christ. Disgrace, imprisonment. We read of in, in uh, the book of Acts where Stephen and John the Baptist suffered martyrdom, and now we know a host of others through the centuries, and even more so today, people suffering and dying for the sake of Christ. I think of Paul, and if you'll turn with me to 2 Corinthians, certainly Paul had every right to write, what, write his thoughts on suffering because he himself suffered enormously in his uh, role as the apostle and as um, a uh, follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you turn to Acts chapter 11, starting with verse 23, you'll read these words. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, uh, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches, who is weak and I do not feel weak, who is led into sin and I, don't, and I do not inwardly burn. If I must boast, I'll boast of the things that show my weakness. And then he drops down and he talks about, I, um, in verse 12, 
although there's nothing, I must go on boasting, although there's nothing to be gained. And then he talks about the thorn that God gave to him and allowed to remain in his life, even though he begged for it to be removed three different times. And he says he understood that God gave him this thorn to keep him from being conceited because of the surpassing great revelations that was given to him. And it was a messenger of Satan to torment him. And so we see in Paul's life this extraordinary uh, suffering that took place, and yet it was he that wrote those words that I read in the very beginning of my message from Romans. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that shall be revealed in us. I could go on, on and on, but I think you understand the challenge of this question. If God is a good God, then why? Why is suffering so rampant in our world? Maybe you're suffering today in one way or another. Most people at some time or another do suffer. You and I have to consider this and the implications for us. All suffering is against the goodness of God and his original plan for his people. So before we discuss how to answer the problem of suffering, we need to see who is behind all the suffering in the world. Where does Satan come into this world of suffering? We need to know who he is and how he operates. The name Satan comes from a Hebrew word, signifying an adversary or an enemy and an accuser. In God's word, we discover that Satan is God's enemy and is against all that God stands for. He is the arch enemy of anything that is good. Satan is the opposite of God in every way. Surprising as it may seem to some of you, Satan was not always evil. That's why I'm going to, I don't think I've ever preached a message quite like this ever in my life. So I want you to just listen very closely. Satan was not always evil. In the beginning, he was an angel created in perfection and beauty. But God gave angels a will with a free moral choice. And that's part of God's blessing to us, but it's also part of a curse. Lucifer, as he was known before he was cast out of heaven, chose to do evil, and he chose to rebel against God. And so God had to cast him out of heaven to the earth because of this sin. And his present domain is limited to earth and hell. I want us to look at a scripture portion from Isaiah chapter 14 where we see a little bit of this distant past history concerning Satan as he was known then Lucifer. You're going to see in this portion of scripture that Isaiah is writing and referring to the king of Tyre, but really he's writing about the evil that was behind this wicked evil king. So let's look at Isaiah chapter 14 beginning with verse 12. How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You've been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low in the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. 
I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. But you were brought down to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. And so we see a little glimpse into before creation ever took place with this angel, Lucifer. The King James Version and the New King James translate Morning Star as Lucifer, son of the morning. It's clear from the rest of the passage that Isaiah is referring to Satan's fall from heaven or when God had to cast him out of heaven. Satan's sins were pride and covetousness. He desired God's throne and he set his will against God's will. And you'll notice in that portion of scripture that I read, five times he says, I will. This is still man's sin today. This is yours and my problem today. The great I will. I will do what I want to do. I refuse to do what God wants me to do. And that attitude has been pervasive throughout the history of mankind. I will. Satan chose to rebel and it brought him down to hell. And it also sowed that awful pattern of I will out of sinfulness into our world. Men are still making that choice. Men and women, human beings are still making that choice today. And those who refuse uh, God's plan and purpose and rebel against him will ultimately go to the same place that Satan is going to be confined to, and that is hell itself. People don't want to hear that. It's interesting how everybody dies, goes to heaven. Everybody goes to heaven. Nobody said, we don't want to consign judgment to anyone because only God knows the heart. But the truth of it is, if somebody lives their whole life with the I will, there's little chance that at the end they're going to go, I will go to heaven. No, <laughs> you're going to go to the place where you, the, uh, of the place where the one you have followed is going to take up residence. That I will. I think we have to ask ourselves this morning, where is it that we are declaring, I will. I will have my own way. I will do what I want to do. And we have to be very careful about that because that I will comes right out of Satan himself. Then I want to go where it's an interesting that Lucifer, not, not only was he created perfect, but he was gifted with beauty and he walked upon the holy mountain of God. But even with all of this, he was not content with the position that God had given to him. And he was trying in every way to usurp God's authority, to be the one who sat on the throne in heaven. And that at that point, Satan, sin, at that point, sin entered into him when he attempted to overthrow God's kingdom. We get a little more information about this angel, Lucifer, from Ezekiel chapter 28. So if you want to turn to Ezekiel chapter 28, I'm going to read starting at verse 12. Then the Lord, word of the Lord came to me, Ezekiel the prophet wrote, 
Son of man, take up a lament concerning the king of Tyre and say to him, this is what the sovereign Lord says. The king of Tyre is this, is this evil personage that, again, that you see Satan behind all of his evil actions. I think I said that concerning Isaiah, but it wasn't in Isaiah. It was concerning Ezekiel. Say to him, this is what the sovereign Lord says. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. This is talking about Lucifer. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Now, we know that the king of Tyre was certainly not in Eden, the garden of God. So we know it's not specifically uh, about um, the king of Tyre. <clears throat> Every precious stone adorned you, carnelian, chrysolite, and emerald, topaz, onyx, and jasper, lapis laluzi, turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. Can you picture the lavish beauty of this angel as God created him? You, your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as the guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. So, see, God didn't create him evil. He didn't create him to do what he does. No, God created him perfect. God created him to be probably the chief angel that was at that time in heaven, even before Michael, and I'll get there in just a minute. But anyway, but when that day came when he said, I will, sin entered into him. We know there's that place with Judas where it says, sin entered him. And you and I have a choice in our lives that we are either going to walk with God and be partakers of his grace and mercy and his holiness, or we allow sin to enter us. And once that happens, once that sin takes root, we are born with a sinful nature, but when we choose to embrace that sinful nature and it takes root, then that's going to be the very thing that's going to consume our lives. Ezekiel goes on, he says, Though you're through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. For I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God, and I expelled you, guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones, your heart became proud on account of your beauty. And you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. By your many sins and dishonest trade, you have desecrated your sanctuaries. So I made a fire come out from you, and it consumed you. And I reduced you to ashes on the ground in the sight of all who were watching. All the nations who knew you are appalled at you. You have come to a horrible end and will be no more. From these verses, we see very clearly that God did not create Lucifer evil, but made him perfect. The Lord never meant ever for evil to exist. God did not create evil. He never meant for that to exist. It was simply the opposite of good and since it takes a free will for evil to come into existence, Lucifer chose that. And from that point on, every person who's ever lived has that choice. 
Lucifer was the first created being to stand against God. Since that time, others have followed, and we know that. (laughs) Satan caused a third of all heaven to fall with him by influencing other angels in a war against God. They also were cast out of heaven. And they since have become the evil spirits that exist here on this earth that do Satan's bidding. They now roam the earth with Satan as their leader and their master. They are invisible supernatural beings that still do have power, but it's directed toward evil works of darkness. And Satan is still ruling to some measure in the earth today, not only over the evil spirits, but over evil people who choose to follow him in that same path of rebellion against God. He is the dark prince of this world. Make no mistake, there is a God and there is a Satan. They are not equal in any way, but the existence, there is an existence of Satan today as much as people would like to argue it away. We, get, we can get a glimpse of evil wisdom and strength and glitter and his inevitable end by reading these passages in Ezekiel. We re- but we always must remember he has limited power. But nevertheless, he has power. And at the very end, we see where he can even do miracles. So don't base everything that you know on seeing a miracle. Because we know that that's not always the sign of God at work. There has to be that indwelling anointing of the Holy Spirit that gives us discernment and makes us to see beyond the natural into the source of where something is coming from. He comes like an angel of light. He comes like a lion. But he's not the lion of Judah. He is not the light. But if you're not moving in the power of the Holy Spirit, you may miss it. You may be deceived. It says we're not unknowing of his schemes. We need to be knowing of how he works. So suffering, sin, disease, death, mayhem, wars, cruelty, moral depravity, addictions of every kind, they are all the result of of Satan and his minions and the rebellion that continues against God Almighty. He's still at work in our world today, but with limited power. But soon it will be over because Jesus says, I am coming soon. I'm coming soon. And those who are born again and filled with the Holy Spirit have no need to fear this evil foe as he has been defeated by our God. Jesus defeated him on the cross. He stripped him of his power 2,000 years ago. Jesus paid the price uh, that was due a holy God by offering himself up and taking all of the sin of the world upon his, in himself. But then he rose from the dead, defeating what Satan had held up until that point. Uh, death could not hold him who bore bore all of our sin on the cross. Uh, Satan's authority has been taken away from him, 
And we now have authority over him in Jesus Christ. But we, that does not say that we're not going to suffer. Suffer is a part of what takes place on this earth that we live in today. Revelation 1.18, Jesus said, I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I'm alive forevermore. And I hold the keys to death and Hades. Uh, he does not. Revelation 12, again, Revelation 12 records the account of Satan's uh, overthrow by Christ. We are first given a vision of what takes place in heaven, and then the Bible reveals the earthly scene. So we first are going to see something in heaven taking place, and then what takes place on earth. Revelation chapter 12, beginning with verse 7. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth, and the angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, now have come the salvation and the power in the kingdom of our God and the authority of our Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows his time is short. Hallelujah! This is a fleeting moment that we are living on this earth. Satan knows his time is short. He only has a very prescribed window when he can lead people astray. But for those who know their God and who walk in the anointing of the Holy Spirit, Satan has no authority over us. <laughs> Lucifer, the father of lies. Do you have a problem with lying? That comes from the father of lies, Satan himself. For people who love the Lord, there should be no place with lying at all. Accuser, tempter, thief, the author of all suffering. That's who is the person that we're talking about this morning. Isaiah refers to Lucifer's body being made of pipes. This is just a very brief description that Isaiah gives in uh, Isaiah uh, chapter 6. Some, of us, some people have taken this to mean that he was the chief musician in heaven. We can't say that for sure, but it holds with a lot of truthful understanding with this, that his whole body was an instrument that was made for worship because he was the leader, considering the fact that the angels constantly worship God, which that's, their, that's what they do. Angels constantly worship God. There's the sound of worship in heaven going on all the time. There's a beautiful song that was written long ago, and I used to play it a lot, it called do you hear the sound of worship? It's going on and on and on and on. Even earth is filled with the sound of worship if we have ears to hear. 
We know the angels were created to worship God, and so it's not far-fetched to think that his whole body was an instrument of worship. We don't know for sure, but we know that he was the highest angel at that point. He was pervasive enough to convince a whole one-third of all the angels to fall with him, to join with him. And it's interesting because even after his fall from heaven, not even Michael the archangel dared to stand up to him without the Lord's help. And I thought, isn't it interesting that music has figured so predominantly in taking down generations of young people? Listen to the lyrics. Listen to what's being sung. Listen to what's filling the hearts and minds of our young people. Where do you think that's coming from? I, you take the history of dictatorships, and oftentimes they control the people through even music. God's intent is that through worship and through singing our praise, we are brought close to him. And Satan's desire is that his music and his worship of him would take people away from God. Remember when King David would be called upon to play his harp to soothe the evil spirit that was consuming, uh, did I say King David? David the shepherd boy, no, no, David the shepherd boy was uh, called upon to play his harp when King Saul was consumed with an evil spirit. And so here would come David this little shepherd boy, and begin to play his harp of worship. And it would have to quiet that evil spirit. Our music should be so anointed with the Holy Spirit, and our singing must be in tune with the Spirit that it breaks every chain. And that when people walk through these doors, Ben, I'm going to challenge this, you and this worship team, that there's got to be an anointing and empowerment with the Spirit that when people hear our worship as they come through the doors, they maybe even fall on their face before the sound of worship that's mimicking the sound that's already being heard in heaven. Where are you? And I prayed this morning, God, don't let that worship team have to pull teeth to get us to worship, but may we be ready to worship no matter what the worship team is doing, no matter what anyone else is doing. Did you lift this, your voice this morning with a hearty singing to the Lord? has nothing to do with your ability in music. It only has to do with giving vent and ex expression to the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us that causes us to worship. Oh, hail the power of Jesus' name. Fall on our faces and worship him. Worship him. It defeats the power of the evil one. Defeats the power of the evil one. Defeats the power. I had someone last night that was just struggling and struggling and struggling and struggling and struggling. And I finally went on YouTube and I began to find music. I said, listen to this, listen to this, listen to this, listen to this, listen to this. I don't know if they did, but they stopped texting me, so who knows. <laughs> In Luke chapter 10 and verse 18, Jesus says, to his disciples as he was sending them out to, to minister. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And they're coming back to report what they had seen. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Jesus was there. He was present. He's not an afterthought. He's not just a New Testament God. But he is all in all. Alpha and Omega. 
without beginning, without end. Jesus said this. This happened, and it has. This actually happened. Jesus said, I saw this happen, and it's impacted earth since that great war took place in heaven. But that's what the cross is all about. I have to come back to the cross. No longer does Satan have the upper hand. Jesus rules as the living Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He defeated him on the cross. And from that time till this and through all eternity, we will overcome Satan by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus, and the word of the testimony of his grace and work in our lives. He cannot defeat those who know their God, even when suffering is constant and severe. Read, this li- read the life of some of the martyrs. I just got through reading um, two books, um, 12 Men and Eight Women. I don't know why they didn't have an equal. But I read the story of Ling, a young woman in China who suffered beyond anything you could imagine, like a Paul the Apostle, and yet she would not stop taking the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, even though in time it meant her imprisonment. And when she described the things they did to her to torture her and pull her arms literally out of her socket, still she would not be quiet. She was going to take the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the house churches in China grew incredibly during that time of her ministry in, Ch- in China. I read things like that, and I am so challenged by that. I'm saying, suffering is not defeat. Suffering is an opportunity to continue on taking the message of Christ. Uh, Although we suffer, we can be triumphant. In our suffering, God's grace is available. My grace is sufficient. Uh, Even as we suffer, we know that it's for a season, And God's glory will be and is revealed through our suffering. Paul wrote, we can know Christ in a deeper level with what is suffered. He wrote that in Philippians. He wrote in Romans that our present sufferings cannot be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. I read that earlier. And then in Colossians and 1 Thessalonians, we find that in the middle of severe suffering, there can still be joy. That doesn't mean silly laughter and parting, but there's a deep inner joy that we have not been abandoned by our God. He will grace us. And then it helps us. Suffering can have positive results in our life. Helps us identify with Christ and his sufferings. It is the evidence that we have been counted worthy of the kingdom of God. It proves that we are heirs of God and joint heirs or co-heirs with Christ. As we suffer, we also know from 2 Corinthians 1 and 5 that we are comforted in our sufferings. We're not left just alone. We're comforted. Just take the word suffer, suffering, and all that and run a Bible study in, in, uh, in the, the New Testament and you'll see how oftentimes it says Jesus saw their suffering. He heard about their suffering. He responded to their suffering. When parents came, my child is suffering, Jesus intervened. He's still doing that today. And then the eternal reward that comes from suffering. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand 
amazing grace. We stand because of him. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our suffering. Remember, this is Paul writing this, the apostle who probably suffered almost more than any other. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Praise God! I'm not feeding you a peep sermon. I'm giving you a steak sermon. But I'm doing it because I know that so oftentimes we're so ignorant of the things that have really taken place and ignorant of why things are happening. And we don't even have an answer even for ourselves, rather than view some of the sufferings that come our way as an opportunity for God's grace to be present, we murmur and complain. And I'm not minimizing severe suffering. Please, never lay that charge on me. But I'm trying to give us a handle that we can use in the midst of it. So back to our original questions. Number one, if God is good, then why all the suffering? And I hope you see it's because of Satan, the accuser, our arch enemy. And if God, number two, if God is all powerful, then why doesn't he do something about suffering? Jesus, our advocate, and our final authority over death, hell, and all suffering, did something. Did something. He went to the cross. I close with this final story. I found someplace. At the end of time, billions of people were seated on a great plain before God's throne. Most shrank back from the brilliant light before them, but some groups near the front talked heatedly, not cringing with cringing shame, but with belligerence. Can God judge us? How can he know about suffering? Snapped a pert young brunette. She ripped open a sleeve to reveal a tattooed number from a Nazi concentration camp. We endured terror, beatings, torture, death. In another group, a young black boy lowered his collar. What about this, he demanded, showing an ugly rope burn. Lynched for no other crime but being black and running away from a cruel slave master. In another crowd, there was a pregnant schoolgirl with sullen eyes. Why should I suffer, she murmured. It wasn't my fault. Far out across the plain were hundreds of other such groups. Each had a complaint against God for the evil and the suffering that he had permitted in his world. How lucky God was to live in heaven where this all sweetness and light, where there was no weeping or fear, no hunger or hatred. What did God know of all that man had been forced to endure in this world? God lives a pretty sheltered life, they said. So each of these groups sent forth their leader, chosen because he had suffered the most. A Jew, a Negro, a person from Hiroshima, a terribly deformed arthritic, a thalidomide child, 
in the center of the vast plain, they consulted with each other. At last, they were ready to present their case. It was very clever. Before God could be qualified to be their judge, he must endure what they endured. Their decision was that God should be sentenced to live on earth as a man. Let him be born a Jew. Let the legitimacy of his birth be doubted. Give him a work so difficult that even his family would think he was out of his mind. Let him be betrayed by his closest friends. Let him face false charges, be tried by a prejudiced jury, and convicted by a cowardly judge. Let him be tortured. At the end, let him see what it means to be terribly alone. Then let him die so there can be no doubt he died. Let there be a great host of witnesses to verify it. As each leader announced his portion of the sentence, loud murmurs of approval went up from the throng of people assembled. And when the last had finished pronouncing sentence, there was a long silence. No one uttered a word. No one moved. For suddenly, everyone knew that God had already served his sentence. Hands reaching out with no one to hold You've been abandoned with no place to go Wounded and wanting such desperate times Cold bitter tears are filling your eyes Get a glimpse of Jesus For He is right there with you just what do you need? Cause when life gets broken, when you're in despair, he'll carry your burden when it's too much to bear. It's down in the
I mentioned last week that not too long ago I filled a page front and back with so many of your names and situations that you're living with. Paul talks about carrying the weight of the churches and the people and I thought of it. I felt broken for you. The weight in my heart was almost more than I felt I could bear and yet I could turn to Jesus. Say, God, your grace is more than enough for this person, this situation, this person, this situation. Thank you, Lord, that you're there and they are crying out to you. Thank you that they know you and they're exhibiting the grace of your presence in the midst of this horrific situation. And one by one, from time to time, then we get answers back of how God so beautifully intervened and made a way where there seemed to be no way. As long as we live on this earth, there's going to be pain and brokenness and suffering and you can't avoid it. But in the midst of it, turn your eyes to Jesus. I can't encourage you anymore day after week after week as I encourage you. Get into God's word. Some time ago when something almost crushed me beyond what I could even imagine, I had to turn to God's word and just over and over say, God, thank you for the comfort that you bring us and the encouragement that you give to us through your word. I wouldn't have made it without his word. 
And it's no different with you. We can't make it without the Word of God sustaining us and keeping us and giving us understanding of what's happening oftentimes. Not answering all the whys. Just say, my child, I know. Trust me. Out of this, I've got purpose. Out of this, you need to learn more about my Maybe you heard this morning and you identified with some of what you heard this morning. And maybe for the first time you understand that we don't fight against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers and wickedness in high places. That's where it's coming from. And I would pray this morning that you would turn your heart to Jesus, that you would not ever allow a root of bitterness to grow that you would be able to give an answer for the hope that you have within your own heart to those that are struggling. Let's pray, shall we? Father, I pray this morning for this great group of people, your children, your sheep. I pray this morning, oh God, that your word would find a lodging place in each of our hearts, that we would not walk out and forget that we would not be so distracted that we can't hear your still small voice speaking to us. Father, I pray that every act of rebellion and every rebellious thought would be cut off, that there would be no I will present, but it would be not as I will, but you will, but as you will, Father. Break us, O God until we ooze faith and fragrance in you, Lord Jesus, we pray. For those that are suffering beyond what we've ever had to suffer, we pray mercy and grace. Those that are right now in the worst of circumstances around this world, send, O God, comfort. Lord, in places where torture is the primary means against Christians. Let there be mercy and grace somehow, oh God, we pray, and provision for all things. For those that have suffered such raw wounds, oh God, as we read day by day and hear day by day in our news media, Lord, we pray, oh God, somehow healing balm would flow in them. Lord, we pray this morning, let no charge be laid against you, but may there be an understanding of this incredible battle that we find ourselves in. And stand firm. Help us, Lord, to bear the burdens of those that are bearing loads beyond what they can bear. Praying, encouraging, standing with them, even providing for their very real needs feeding, helping however we can. Lord, let this be what we're known for here at Crossroads Worship Center, we pray. Amen.